Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Live and Sport Podcast. And we're joined by a very special guest. I say that every week, but this is very true because he's the first guest that I've had on that um, has competed in the UFC. His name, he's also an Afghanistan veteran. His name is Damien Brown or Damien Beatdown Brown. Thank you for joining me. And how's your day going so far? Yeah, it's good, man. All my members just scooting out the door there, laughing at you introducing <laughs> me. But um, the, the lunch class just finished at the gym. So, um, no, I've had a pretty good day. Uh, slipped into the city for a, a rare visit for, yep. uh, for something this morning. And then, um, yeah, back out to hang out at the gym. Yeah, nice. So do you spend, obviously you spend most of your days at the gym, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, man. Most of my days are spent, I, I'll, four out of five days, I take my son to school and then I, I usually don't go home until like 8.30 at night. <laughs> wow. Go to the gym, hang out. Even if I like have some downtime and maybe I'll go out for like a, a lunch or a breakfast or something like that, yep. you know, I usually get my wife to come meet me. Like I, yeah. I just don't go home very often. It feels... Fair. Like a non like an unproductive way to spend time yeah no that, that's fair enough as i mean try and capitalize on the time that you can um and i guess the first question for me is obviously you were in the military um and you're a former ufc fighter as well and it all begins in life with childhood and what was your childhood like you know man i'll, I'll never complain man. i think my childhood was uh it, it is what it is. It was like, you yep. know, I come from a separated family, but I lived a very structured lifestyle. Okay. Uh, I was raised with a lot of structure and routine. Um, you know, my, my parents separated quite when I was like eight. It's quite okay. young. Um, dad remarried uh, and my dad's ex-military. Yep. So, you know, li- life was pretty structured, you know. Um, we woke up at the same time every day. We had bedtimes at night every day and, it wasn't just like, oh, it's about 7.30, we should go to bed. It was literally... It's, like, it's, it's 7.30, go to bed sort of thing. Alarm went, man, at 7.31, you were getting your ass whooped if you yep. weren't in your bedroom. Didn't matter if you went to sleep, but you had to be in your bedroom at bedtime. So, yep. um, you know, that was just the life that we lived. It was very structured, very disciplined, very routine. Do you think uh, that, had- that benefited you when you ended up in going into the military? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it was, uh, you know, ki- kids like routine, but more importantly, I think that flows over into adulthood. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's like if you fo- you know, a kid has to wake up at a certain time every morning to get their breakfast done at the same time and then, you know, like different ages, you know, maybe they pack the dishwasher or something. Like if that's their morning yep. routine, they learn responsibility, discipline, structure, and that flows into life. Yeah. For the most part, except for the uh, the few black ducks out there that decide to stray away from the structured lifestyle. But, you know, I, I think that that definitely helped me. You know, I felt like going to the military. Also, I'd worked by the time I went in yep. the military. So I joined when I was 21. So I already had an impression. Okay. I kind of knew what like work life was like. So um, I, was, uh, I took being told what to do and to shut up and wait very well. <laughs> uh, yep and uh just took everything in my stride by the time i was that age yeah that's fair enough um and that's that's really interesting to hear as you said you had quite a structured ru- routine from childhood right through to life um and you did just uh, mention very briefly that your father was also ex-military was that part of the 
um, decision to join the army or was it all of your own um, volition, own accord sort of thing? Oh, it played no role. Was, make no mistake about it, Dad was a cook. Yep. Okay. It was just a cook in the <laughs> army. That's Fair it. enough. <laughs> no, it was just a cook. Nah, you, you don't take anything away from any of them. But no, it definitely didn't play. He, he was out when I was like two, oh, three okay. years old. So he played no role in me wanting to be in the military. My uncle was in the military. Dad's cousin went to Vietnam. Like, but I, I never grew up going, one day I'm going to join the army. I just got the shits with what I was doing and opened the newspaper <laughs> and they had a double spread that day and that, that that was sort of like all she wrote. The rest is history, you know. I, yeah, um, fair. I needed, a, I, I needed a sea change, so to speak. Yep. And uh, it was in the job page at the right time. No, that's fair enough. And um, obviously, as I mentioned previously at the start, that um, you were deployed to Afghanistan. Uh, what was your experience like over in Afghanistan, if you don't mind me asking? Um, man, I, I think, like, it was probably what people expected to be. Mm-hmm. And then uh, from an, an experienced trained person, I'd say it's probably not as bad as they expected it. But in okay. their mind, probably was you know like for an untrained person to experience some things that soldiers experience would traumatize them for life and it does to some soldiers and they're trained to deal with it so you know i I feel like uh my experience was good Mm -hmm. i enjoyed it i chose to go there i'd go there again i wouldn't join the army again but i'd go there (laughs) again um you know, it, it, it's the pinnacle of doing your job when you're an infantry soldier. You don't get to do that at home. Um, mm-hmm. You train for something. For some soldiers for their entire career and never get an opportunity to execute it. So, yeah, you know, I think from a from an infantry soldier's point of view, it's it's the pinnacle of your job and um, it's it's what most of us do it for. You know, no one's yeah. forced to join the army these days. No, no it's all voluntary. The war. You know, and if you join the army anywhere between sort of 2005 and 2000, sorry, 2006 to sort of 2013, 2014, you kind of knew what you were getting yourself into. Yep. So you didn't do it hoping that you were going to stay at high range in Townsville. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so, um, so yeah, but it was, uh, you know, it was a good experience. I think it changes people for the rest of their lives. I don't think anyone comes home the same. Um, <coughs> I feel like it changed me for the better. Some would argue otherwise, but mm-hmm. uh, it's afforded me a view on life that I'm able to share with the other people that now choose to be part of my life. So, um, you know, I, I think that you know a lot of us experience the same kind of things in life, and when you go to places like Afghanistan or like just war zones in general, I think it gives you a different perspective. And that's yep. something um, like an eye opener sort of thing. Well, it's just something that runs on the board. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, it's it's an experience that you can then share. Not your experience, but you can share a point of view to someone else's that might be a little bit different. Like yeah, you know, like life's not too bad. You know, or that's a pretty shitty thing. So maybe you should do this. But that's based on my experiences, which yep. could have been something over there that I relate to a current situation sort of. Oh, it's the same absolutely. when guys uh, or girls, you know, like when people visit third world countries, you, know, yep. you go up there and realise what people don't have, all of a sudden not having enough fuel to get the fucking McDonald's ain't such a big, big bad idea, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It, it, it helps put things into, into your back home life, into perspective sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. 
No, yeah. that's that's a really interesting take. And obviously, when you came back um, after your deployment, you found just based on research, uh, you found that MMA training helped. Excuse the pun. Combat your PTSD and depression. Uh, that was somewhat caused by your your deployment and my question is did you try anything else other than mma training to help you know get yourself out of the funk for lack of a better term um yeah yeah man i started gambling real bad that was a pretty good escape for a bit it wasn't necessarily financial it was more um which probably sounds funny but it was more just like entering poker tournaments and stuff like yeah. that because the the cards, you know, I learned how, I learned how to play poker while I was deployed. Um, yep. But you know, it's just like you you finding things to do. I think like most soldiers need, um, and I don't even think it's just going overseas and coming back. I think just most soldiers in general need need to be occupied. You know, they need their brain stimulated. Most of them, are, even though we sit around a lot for our job, it's it's like when you don't have you know, when, when you don't have someone to tell you what to do and to give you, like, you something to do, A, you're like, your brain doesn't really stop. So yeah. they sort of need to be stimulated. And, um, you know, I went and did a bunch of different things and then it just turned out for me that, like, exercise fit um, and I'd done it before. So combat sports was the easy one to go to yeah. for what I needed. Um, at the time, I didn't. I didn't do it to like escape or to combat, you know, trauma experiences mm-hmm. or mental health or anything. <clears throat> I actually didn't realize the positive effects martial arts had on my mental health. Okay. Until I didn't have martial arts during oh, wow. injuries. Okay. And then I realized that. So it's yeah it's kind of complicated but it wasn't that i was like you know what i can't sleep at night maybe i'll do martial arts that wasn't it it was no <laughs> it was uh it was a case of going to do martial arts and then when that was taken from me when i had like knee surgeries and stuff like that then from yeah. there you realize just how important it was and then you're like i need this in my life yeah so it was more like down the track that i realized the positive effects that it was having and <laughs> Again, that's now something that I can pass on to people. Oh, absolutely. Um, I have a quick question that kind of tangents into, you know, when you came back and, you know, you got into MMA training and whatnot. Did you ever at any point think, you know, you'll you'll go back to your trade? Because you mentioned that you, um, you know, worked before you went into the military. You, you did an apprenticeship. Did you think afterwards maybe oh, I'll come back for, to civilian life and do, do my trade? No. No? Nah, I'm a baker by trade. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never really just the nature of the job and um, and you know like the it's hard to explain, but there's a lot of things. It's like just the way that they work. Yep. Uh, you know, I had some back problems or whatever when I first got out, and uh, it's just. It just didn't seem like it was something that was probably physically good for me. Yeah. Which sounds crazy because I was a (laughs) professional athlete. But there's a big difference between lifting weights and training um, to physically improve your own health and actually lifting, you know, like leaning over benches and lifting at awkward angles. And I, I guess to some people, it probably sounds a little silly, but, you know, 
when, when you've got 25, 30 kilos on a rolling pin, but you're leaning at a 45-degree angle over a bench that's a metre high, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily something that can be avoided, but it's, it's also like not super good on your health. Most, most bakers are like, their bodies are fucked while it's on that 40. Like, yeah. So, um, you know, and that's why, like, even when I was still working in, in the early 2000s, that's why they changed, you know, workplace health and safety came in and the baking industry changed with things like 25 kilo flour bags were changed to 12 and a half because, yep. not because of the weight, but because of the nature of the job. Yeah. So, yeah, I never, you know, there was, there was a bunch of, and then the reasons why I got out of that industry was more the people. I never went okay. for the people because, you know, if you're working 60 hours a week night shift, that attracts a certain person. Yeah. And uh, you'll get good ones and you'll get bad ones. And I just had, you know, a couple of experiences that I didn't like before I joined the Army. So I just didn't feel like going back to that was probably something that really sort of suited me. Now, that's fair enough. Um, and obviously, I wouldn't be in an interview with... Um, Damien B. Downbrown, if we didn't talk about your time in the UFC. So, first of all, what was it like um, from the point of being told, you know, you've got your first fight in the UFC to, um, you know, not being in the UFC anymore sort of thing? Um, yeah, look, I remember both. So, when I got the call to, to sign with the UFC, I was at work. Uh, I was working at the jail. Yep. As a... Uh, community safety officer, as they call us. And funny is enough, that a key turner sort of guard person? Is that what the, the role screws is? Screws out there hate being called screws, but yeah. that's reality. We're prison officers. Yep. Um, but I, I, find it, I find it hilarious. Um, you call me whatever you want. So, yeah, um, yeah uh, I was working out there. I, I just went to lunch, got back, got a call over the radio that my wife had called, you know, the, the control room. Um, to get through to me, which was kind of odd to me because at the time I think I'd been out there for a few years and um, yep. and uh, she never rang me at work. So I thought it was kind of odd. Um, and, like maybe something bad had happened sort of thing? Uh, no, not really. Uh, mm-hmm. More just uh, I knew there was a UFC card next week. But just sort of. You know, we'd hoped for it. We we hoped that we were sort of in line for an opportunity, um, yep. but just seemed kind of odd. And so I rang her back, and uh, she just told me that um, Justin Lawrence, like everyone knows who he is, but um, he was the XFC promoter at the time, and he had contact with the USC. They actually contacted him for another fighter, and the other fighter was unavailable and couldn't make the weight um, and stuff like that. So. Rather than just going back to them and saying, no, he's not available, he went back, um, provided my details, and they said, all right, let's do it. So basically he'd rang her because he couldn't get hold of me. She rang me, I rang him back, and within an hour I'd signed a bout agreement. Um, Wow. And uh, that night after work, I signed the rest of – like he met me at my house and we signed all the promotional agreements and stuff like that. So – yeah, on that Saturday, basically, I became a UFC athlete. And um, wow. to be honest, man, uh, me and my wife, it brought us to tears. It's, it's everything I, it's everything I worked for. It's everything I fought for. It took me um, six years to get to the UFC. Um, yep. I had some ups, I had some downs, I had some losing streaks, some winning streaks. I fought across the world. I fought guys that were signed with the UFC. I mean, all sorts of shit. And um, 
so yeah, it was a, it was an emotional time for us to get that opportunity. Um, but we we kicked straight into action. You know, I had six days to lose thirteen kilos, and um, you know it's a massive weight cut, but we got it done. <coughs> and I made weight, and um, you know I lost the decision. But um, that's another story. And then you know all the way through to getting cut. I mean, I was standing in a cafe, <coughs> Matthew Thomas cafes in uh, in Astley here in Brisbane. I was standing there at the counter, and my manager at the time, who I'd switched to only a couple of fights before that, he just sent me a message and just said that the UFC weren't going to um, keep me on and they decided to release me from my contract. And, um, again, you know, it's the same. It's just the other end of the scale, you know, brought me yep. to the emotional moments, everything you fought for. You know, I sort of thought even though I was on a three-fight losing streak after the first one, they re-signed me. Um, yep. So they signed me again off a loss. I lost two split decisions. One was fight of the night against a guy that missed weight by two and a half kilos. So. Wow. You know, like I, I'd rolled the dice with the company and those two decisions that I lost were both split decisions. So like I didn't get beaten in any either of them, you know what I mean? And yep. Um they they were just one one was just a banger, you know, a fight of the night, top five fight of the year for twenty seventeen with Frank Camacho. And the other one was you know, it it was a little bit boring, but it was you know, I was trying to save my job and I always said that I'd never follow like that, but fuck it, I did, you know what I mean? Like when when your job's on the line, things change yeah. and that's the way it is. Um again, I thought I won it, you know, like the other guy's the one that went to surgery, he's the one that broke his leg. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yep, exactly. Uh, but yeah, they released me off the back of that and um you know, it was a little devastating. I sort of thought I might have got another fight, but anyway, that's the way it goes and um Maybe a different management team, I might have got that extra fight, but that's uh, it is what it is. That's very true. Um, obviously, during the UFC, Dana White is very um, up there in the UFC, obviously. Did you ever have a chance to chat to him or, in, or encounter Dana during your time in the UFC? Yeah, I shook his hand once on stage at a weigh-in and he said, good luck tomorrow, kid. And I was like, I'm fucking 32 years old. <laughs> like, fucking call me kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. I thought it was right, real weird, but I get it now because I'm I'm 38 and the 30-year-old's coming to my gym and I'm like, what's going on, son? Yeah, you know, like that young, you know? So I sort of get it these days. But at the time, I remember thinking to myself, did he just fucking call me kid? Like, um, I'm a 32-year-old veteran. What the fuck? Sort yeah, of thing. but, but uh, yeah, that's the only interaction I ever had with him. Outside, okay. I don't know to him. Um, Joe's... Joe Silver and uh, Sean Shelby, more more so. I had conversations okay. with those guys. They're the ma- they were the matchmakers when I got signed. Um, Joe was the matchmaker for lightweight. So, you know, I had more interactions with Joe sort of by email and, and whatnot and a, a little bit of conversation. He seemed to be a guy that really, really got to the point and he didn't mess around and sit around and laugh and carry on. That was more for him and his friends, but... You know, if you're if you're an athlete, he would have a quick conversation with you. He'd answer your questions. He always responded to his emails, and um, yeah. But you know, I had a good chat with Sean Shelby at the back of the USC Brisbane event. And had a good chat to him in New Zealand, and you know, he he's he was a really nice guy. And then obviously Mick Maynard's there now. So, um, but at the time, um, Joe was dealing with the lightweight division, and then Sean took over, and that's where the interactions with him come from. So. Um, not not really with Dana White. He doesn't, yep. you know. He's more like top ten guys, you know. Yeah, like gotcha. Top ten guys get there, you know. They'll talk to him or now these days Hunter. Uh, so yeah. 
No, that's fair enough. Um, and obviously, during your time, you were fighting, you were listed as fighting out of Brisbane. Um, you're originally from Albury, though, which is down far down south of New South Wales. So my question is, what landed you in Brisbane? Was it um, post-military you, you ended up in Brisbane or sort of thing? No, uh, when I was like 12, when I was a young fella, my old man moved to Queensland and I came ah. with him. Um, so I lived up here from the age of 12 till nearly sort of from 12 to 15. And then when I was 15, I moved back down there and just sort of finished grade 10 and then started a trade. Uh, yep. Stayed down there for five more years. And then um, I moved back to Queensland when I was 20. When I was 20, uh, yep. joined the army. 21 and my, all my time in the army except for courses was spent in Queensland as well so I've essentially besides being at Kapuka, Singleton and, and one course in Melbourne so probably courses all up for close to a year yep. in the army but um, besides my courses I've probably been in Queensland since I was for your adult life really 20 yeah so I've been up here for about 18 years so yeah, nice. Um, and obviously, um, in Brisbane, you are obviously a Broncos fan to anyone who may not know, and obviously a Queensland State eight? of Origin fan. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I myself am a Broncos fan and a Queensland State of Origin fan. Um, tangenting into a different sport, obviously that um, you didn't that you know compared to MMA. Um, Origin just gone last night. What are your thoughts on the game? I've got to be honest, man. I only watched the second half. Yep. Uh, most people are shocked when I tell them that. I am a massive rugby league fan. I played 17 seasons before I joined the army. Wow. And uh, I, um, you know, since a junior through to being 21 yep. years old, 22. So, um, yeah, it uh, it was a banger of a game and the right team came out on top. But I must say, you know, I work. So for four years since I've had my business, I've missed the first half of every Origin game. I always yep. work till 8 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Um <clears throat> And, uh, yeah, I just uh, – I thought it was a good game. I, I don't know how anyone in their right mind gave Oppie Karasau a, a try. That try. On. Um, Absolutely I agreed. Tyson, I think Tyson Frizzell's was a try. Yeah, I agreed um, with that. So, as a Queenslander, I thought they were robbed of one and given the other, so maybe it's even. And yeah, true. I'm still looking for answers on why Tom Flegg landed up in the bin. Absolutely. Um, so down down to 12, probably 10 minutes to play or something like that, and we put on two tries and we won the game. So, you know, yeah. in uh, the right team won in the end. I thought the refereeing was fucking horrible. Um, it was a bit how you going, and, yeah. Uh, but, you know, like I said, the right team won. It was a closely fought contest back and forth with the lead despite the, the errors, but... um. Yeah, you know, I, I think New South Wales have got to make some changes. I think yep. uh, I'm not sure why Turbo was playing. Um, you know, I get it. They stuck with him, you know, the loyalty thing. But, uh, man, he's been a little bit off for some time. So, I'm not sure. You know, he's very injury prone. And I imagine his body doesn't feel super fucking good. So, yeah. uh, so I, I think that was probably like a bit of an error there by them. Um, the Pangai Junior one was a bit of a surprise to me that New South Wales picked him. Uh, yeah, you tend you tend to think that. But by the time you get to Origin, you sort of 
the names that are picked in origin are typically if you're watching the TV, it's the guys, the commentators are like always banging on about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the Bulldogs game, uh, Bulldogs game, like Pango Junior at the moment, he's just not what he was. So like no. people aren't just raving about him as like the best forward in the game or anything like that. So it was a surprise picking. Um, like it made sense when they picked Nico Hines. But Brad Filler, in my opinion, did not utilize Nico as well as he could have or should have last night. Nah, Brought him in the uh, last 10 minutes, should have put him in 10 minutes before halftime and for 20 minutes in the second half. Well, I think the other thing is like if you look at it, you got a full one edge where you got, you know, um, Cleary and uh, Luai and then. Um, uh, but he had a blank. The you got Toto and uh, and Crichton, Crichton all yeah. on one edge of the Panthers. Like I get it, it makes sense, right? They know each other's plays, but you know, even though the Panthers are on top of the ladder, the Panthers aren't who they were two years ago. Yeah, agreed. So, you know, I'm not I'm not quite sure that that they picked players in the positions that were the best in the game this year in the best form. Um, they probably went with the loyalty there. And um, I think, like, New South Wales probably got to break that up. I agree. I agree with that. Um, so I've got three final questions for you. First of all, what are three life lessons that you've learned that you wish you knew when you were younger? Uh, listen to your elders, respect your elders, and ask questions of your elders. That's very, very succinct. I like that. Um, and obviously, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about base training because obviously that's where we are recording from, where you're, where you're at at the moment. Uh, what is base training to anyone who may not know? Uh, base training center is a community that brings martial arts, you know, in many forms to each and every person. Provides a culture. That allows people to explore themselves um, without fear of judgment. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, ultimately what we are is we're just one massive family that gets to do jiu-jitsu and mixed martial arts and laugh at each other. Yep. And uh, the few people that want to compete have been very successful. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, we're just, uh, we're just a big a big family in North Brisbane that comes together and... Uh, Makes each other laugh. Very nice. I like that. And my final question for you is, what's next for Damien Beatdown Brown? Oh, far out. Where do I start? Let's just, I'll say this. Anyone that knows me knows that I don't sit still. I, I can tell. Yep. If you are looking at my gyms thinking that I'm doing well um, or that, you know, this is it, then you'll be... Uh, upset when you see what happens in the next couple of years. So, oh, wow. Uh, we're working on a few things. Uh, I'm working on some stuff outside combat sports. I'm working on um, some more stuff inside combat sports. Um, and uh, you just never know, you might see a third gym by the end of 2023. 